Hello, everyone. Welcome back to From the Front Row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. My name is Eric Ramos, joined today by Anya Morozov, and if this is your first time with us, welcome. We're a student-run podcast that talks about major issues in public health and how they are relevant to anyone, both in and outside of the field of public health. Today, we have two inspiring people on the call, Dr. Cecilia Norris and Barbara Vinegrade. Both oversee the Iowa City Free Medical and Dental Clinic. Barbara Vinegrade as the Executive Director and Dr. Norris as the Medical Director. This amazing clinic has provided free medical and dental services since 1971 and is still going strong. Today, we will learn more about the clinic services, ways to get involved, and more. Welcome to the show, Barbara and Dr. Norris. Can we just start by introducing yourselves? How and why did you start working at the Free Medical Dental Clinic? Well, first of all, thank you both so much for inviting us to talk with you today and for the opportunity for us to share some information with you and our audience about the Iowa City Free Medical and Dental Clinic. To reintroduce myself, my name is Barbara Vinegrade, and I started working with the Iowa City Free Clinic in 1989. I worked as the Director of Patient Services for 20 years and then moved into my current position as the Executive Director. I moved to Iowa City in 1986, and at that time, the clinic was located on North Dubuque Street in the basement of the Wesley Foundation. I learned about the clinic because I walked by it every day on my way to work downtown to catch the bus. I wanted to work with the clinic because of my awareness of how hard it was for some people to afford needed health care. While I grew up in Ames, I moved to New York City right after college. And at New York City, I started working at Mount Sinai Medical Center. Over the years, I started to witness more and more how really difficult it was for so many people to afford the care they needed. So when I found myself in Iowa City and learned about the free clinic, it felt like a good fit for me. And that's why I'm here today. My story uh, kind of mirrors Barbara's and that when I lived in Iowa City various different times I went to undergrad here so I knew about the clinic but when uh, we decided to settle in Iowa City and raise our family I was fortunate able to start volunteering at the clinic as we decided kind of what role I was going to take shortly after I started volunteering the medical director role opened up so I am a family physician I went into medicine because I truly believe that preventive medicine as well as taking care of health issues that come up are intrinsic to our needs as a society, intrinsic to our uh, character as a society. And as I was out in the world, I've been in private offices, federally qualified health centers, rural practice. I've just seen the variety of health facilities that are out there and the free medical clinic with its mission statement, its desire to truly provide health care, not just health insurance for people. Really, that's why I went in. So I'm happy to have this opportunity. And I started volunteering in the end of 2005 medical director in 2007. Well, we're very happy to have both of you on the call. And you have some very inspiring stories and ways that you got to the free medical clinic. Next, can we get into some of the services that the clinic offers? And can you tell us about the range of services and the scope that the clinic offers? 
Yes, yes. Before I tell you the services that we provide today, I want to give you just a little bit of background. The clinic was established in 1971, and for the first two decades, our patients received treatment primarily for acute health conditions, such as job and school physicals, STI screenings, immunizations, treatment for respiratory infections, and muscular injuries. And today, we continue to see patients for these conditions. But we've been through a lot of changes in our 51 years, and today we offer more of a comprehensive range of services. One of the things I am most proud of about the free clinic is that it's very clear that over the years, our staff members have worked hard and successfully to do their best to meet the needs of our patients, the changing healthcare needs of our patients. Today, our staff and volunteers see patients for acute as well as chronic conditions. However, today, over 60% of our patients are diagnosed with at least one chronic health condition, such as diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or asthma. At the clinic today, these patients are enrolled in what we call our case management program. They receive comprehensive services and continuity of care throughout the year, such as quarterly visits, medications, laboratory testing, education, and radiology procedures. We also monitor health outcome measures, such as glucose control and blood pressure management. In addition to treatment for acute and chronic conditions, we also provide limited specialty care services at the clinic. One of these is our dental clinic. We hold from six to 10 dental clinics per month, where patients receive exams and x-rays, fillings, some extractions, and hygiene. We also hold monthly dermatology clinic, gynecology, physical therapy, and ophthalmology. We offer rheumatology clinics, as well as prenatal and postpartum care. We have an on-site medication dispensary, and we have an on-site laboratory. Other on-site services include HIV counseling and testing, and we provide our patients with vouchers to purchase eyeglasses and to have eye exams. Off-site, our patients also receive radiology procedures, including mammography, ultrasounds, and orthopedic x-rays. One last service that's important that we provide at the clinic. Like many free clinics, we serve as what I like to call a gateway to health insurance coverage. Every day, our staff work with people call or walk in to talk to them about insurance coverage options and how they can get information and assistance to determine their eligibility. That's incredible. I'm just listening to you talk about all the services, the continuity of care as you guys provide across the entire continuum. I'm a master of health administration student. So just listening to you kind of talk about that, that's exactly what healthcare is supposed to be and what a lot of clinics and what a lot of health systems fail to do. So just as you're hearing you like talk about that, how your free medical clinic is providing that care across the entire continuum, constantly checking on their patients to make sure they're good across, you know, the whole year, not just when they show up to the appointment. It's honestly incredible. And I'm really happy to hear that you guys are here and doing the work that you guys are doing. Um, is there anything on your wish list that you would like to offer in the clinic someday? Cecilia, would you like to, to start with that answer? Yes, and I think I would like to preface this question with the statement that I really wish that the free medical clinic was not necessary. 
we do a lot, but one thing I have noticed over the years is how we have had to work to do more to serve our patients. As you can imagine, it's not just a health issue, it's a food access issue, it's a shelter issue, it is a personal safety issue. And I have to say, I am totally amazed at what the free clinic does. I mean, we, you know, one of our newest partnerships or two of our newest partnerships, I think, are with ACAP and Table to Table to provide what we can. We can't provide everything as far as food uh, for patients. And so seeing these great needs, of course, we'd have a long wish list, but I think my biggest wish list is to be able to get mental health services that's a huge need and it's just growing. And along with that, a social worker, because uh, we all, all of the staff, honestly, <laughs> are doing some social work without training. <laughs> um, it's, it's the way that it uh, goes. So those are my two big wishes. Yes, I would, I would agree with what Cecilia just said. My, my main wish would be that we live in a country where needed health care is affordable to everyone and that we could close our doors. I also agree with Cecilia about access to mental health. Another thing on my wish list is fun more funding. You know, all nonprofits are in need of funding, more funding. We're very, very fortunate that we receive very strong local support. But if we had more funding, we could hire more staff and we would be able to increase the number of services that we provide. How much volunteers do you guys get usually as far as staffing goes? We have a small staff. It's about, at this time, it's about seven full-time equivalents. And prior to the pandemic, we worked with over 200 volunteers. But when the pandemic hit, to protect our patients and our staff and our volunteers, we had to limit the number of volunteers, and vol including volunteer providers who came into the clinic. And Dr. Norris, Celia did a fabulous job of setting up protocols and policies so that we've been able to offer more and more services over the past two years. But as we all know, the pandemic is still here and we still are being very cautious in what we're, what we're doing. As far as the number of volunteers we're utilizing now, I believe we're up to about 125 and they rotate through the clinic as their schedules allow. So backtracking a little bit, you did mention a lot of different services at your clinic. What would you say is the most utilized service and what have you noticed is the biggest need in the Iowa City community? I would say that right now our most utilized service is our case management program. I mentioned earlier that we have growing numbers of patients presenting with multiple chronic health conditions. We always have a waiting list for new patients diagnosed with chronic conditions established care with us. Another very highly used service is our medication dispenser. We are filling hundreds of prescriptions every week. And obviously this speaks to the very high cost of medication. So we're definitely using our medication dispensary a lot. I'd like Cecilia to talk about the biggest need in Johnson County in Iowa City. And I think she already did in part with the mental health access, because I would, I would totally agree with that. I'd add that I think there's a need for everything to do. I would love to offer more dental care at the free clinic. Our dental services um, are limited right now because we need more dentists, but I'm proud of what we do. We'd like to offer more of that. 
I also would love to expand our specialty care. We offer a lot, but we could always expand it. And women's health care services, I think, something we'd like to expand. I know Dr. Norris, Cecilia, is very passionate about women's health care. Maybe she'd like to, to add something to that. Yes. Yeah, so, well, over time, as Barbara said, we have tried to meet the needs of the community. And it's heartbreaking to me that we have gone backwards in meeting some of these needs through these systems that were in place five or six years ago. The two things that happened in Iowa that uh, really have impacted how women in particular with uteruses could obtain care was the defunding of Planned Parenthood and the privatization of Medicaid. And again, I want people to know that what that did when they defunded Planned Parenthood, there was no true plan in place to replace those services of contraception, healthcare maintenance, STI screening. They devastated all of those services um, in their hope to decrease abortion. However, it backfired and abortion actually increased by over 30% in 2019 and 2021. We saw a over 30% increase in our request for uh, services for pap smears, mammograms, STI screening, birth control pills, and we had to really kind of scramble to fill that void. Again, our volunteers stepped up and our gynecologist was able to do more. We fortunately had more family practice doctors who did perform pap smears, volunteering at the clinic, and so we were able to, you know, do something to meet those services. As far as the privatization of Medicaid, they changed how they reimbursed doctors for prenatal care. And what that did is they unbundled services for doctors before could be reimbursed for the, the care throughout the pregnancy, including the delivery. And so patients who qualified for emergency Medicaid, the doctors would get reimbursed for the care that they provided. Privatization of Medicaid said, we're going to make those two separate um, reimbursements. And so women can still, who qualify for um, presumptive or emergency Medicaid, can still get the delivery covered, but doctors are not being reimbursed for the primary care, the prenatal, you know, the 30 weeks ahead of time <laughs> when women need services that will help their babies be healthier and decrease the chance of maternal mortality and injury and illness during pregnancy. So a lot of physicians had to stop providing those prenatal services when patients did not have Medicaid or insurance to cover it. Again, having a baby average cost is about $30,000. So that's out of the reach of people, especially those people kind of caught in the middle, between not having Medicaid, not having insurance. And so fortunately, working with the family medicine program at the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics, we were able to set up a clinic that provides that prenatal care to bridge the gap. It's a little complicated how everything has to work in order to get as many tests covered as possible. But again, just a shout out to our staff, work with the clinic, uh, work with the clinic, our volunteers, and our community partners who try to make this happen. And so I anticipate, unfortunately, seeing more demand for services with the continued attack on women's health uh, access and bodily autonomy. 
I don't know what that's going to be yet, but we are aware of that very real probability and we'll work to adapt uh, in the best ways. Yeah, I think you made very many good points about how how government can easily just make huge impacts throughout healthcare without really thinking about the consequences, really analyzing everything. They, you know, defunded Planned Parenthood for abortions, but didn't really think about everything else that was really that Planned Parenthood, those services are providing. Privatizing Medicaid would have been a good, maybe a good idea in a sense, but honestly, it, it was not in the long run. And I guess just seeing how government can just impact healthcare so much and impact hundreds of thousands of people, it honestly, it's sad and it's frustrating. And that's why we always tell people to always advocate for yourself, always advocate for others. Uh, make sure you go out and vote and get involved in your own healthcare. Um, one thing that always frustrated me, especially um, in undergrad and even now in my master's is people who just don't really get into politics at all. And it's just, it's frustrating because, you know, where you, our whole career is politics. Like this, this is everything that politics does impacts what we do in our careers and how we serve our patients and how we serve our communities. This is very frustrating that some people don't take that seriously. For everything that you said, you know, it impacts real people every day and you guys are seeing that. Other than voting, what are some ways that, you know, our community can get involved with the free medical clinic and help you guys out? Good question, Eric. Financial support is always appreciated at the clinic. We welcome private donations of any amount. I always encourage people to do small fundraisers. And I always say no fundraiser is too small. A dollar goes a long way at the free clinic. Because of our many partnerships, we're able to provide over $5 worth of care for every $1 donated. Volunteering is also a way that people can get involved. That being said, as I mentioned earlier, the need for volunteer varies and due to the pandemic, our volunteer needs have shifted somewhat. Today, what we really need is volunteer interpreters. We see many, many patients whose primary language is Spanish. We also see many patients speak French. So volunteer interpreters who speak Spanish and French are welcome. People can go to our website, freemedicalclinic.org, and look under our volunteer section. There's a place to fill out an application online. I encourage people to do that. Again, volunteers are always at the clinic. We also are in need of pharmacists and pharmacy tech to help us in our dispensary. We could also use volunteer lab technicians or phlebotomists to help us with our on-site laboratory. And I just want to make one more shout out for dentists. I would ask everyone who's listening to us today, if you know, if you are a dentist or if you know of a dentist who might like to get involved, please reach out to us. And I know that everyone is very busy these days, but we don't ask for people to come in more than they can, more than their schedule allows. Some of our dentists come in once every two months, some once a month, and it would make a big difference if we were able to have a few more dentists volunteer, we would be able to provide more service. What are your hours of operation or that time frame where you need volunteers? Well, our clinics run throughout the week, Eric. We have clinics during the day and some in the evenings to meet people's needs, what their schedules are. So I think the best thing to do would be for people to call our business line and find out when, the, when we offer clinics for what they need. 
I did want to mention one other way people can help. Just learn about the free clinic and learn about access to health care, about the realities of access to health care in this country. Spread the word about the free clinic and our work. If you belong to a service organization or a church and would like someone to come talk to the clinic about our service, reach out to our staff. Be happy that a lot of people, you know, we've been here over 50 years. A lot of people know about the free clinic, but quite a few people don't know about us. So that's one thing everyone can do is proudly announce that the Iowa City Free Clinic is the second longest running free clinic in the United States. We welcome support of any kind. Yeah, well, that was quite a comprehensive list. So if any of our listeners heard something in there that you think you can get on board with, we'll go ahead and post some links in the description. So go ahead and get to it. Next, we're going to talk a little bit about administration. So Dr. Norris, you said you've worked in a lot of different settings over the years. What are some differences and similarities between the administration of a free medical clinic compared to, say, private practice? Okay, first of all, the similarities are that most of us, <laughs> most of us in the health profession truly do want to provide high quality, standard of care, health care services to our That has been my experience from working in managed out on the East Coast, as been my experience working in an inner city clinic in St. Louis. The doctors, nurses, pharmacists, <laughs> medical assistants across the board want the best for the patient. I think that one of the things that I've learned over the years is the biggest thing that impacts the difference between private practice and free clinic is the way our healthcare system is structured. Unfortunately, in the United States, we have a healthcare for profit system instead of a healthcare for health system. And that does impact how things are done. I think people would be surprised, though, to hear how things actually work in private practice when dealing with insurance companies, as far as when you're contracted and you take great uh, lower cost reimbursement service provided, how you have to document, use certain criteria. A lot of bureaucratic steps that are involved in dealing with insurance companies in order to get that reimbursement. I used to say when I first started at the free clinic that my biggest joy working in the free clinic was not have to deal with insurance companies. (laughs) Over time, and as I'm farther away from that, my biggest joy is dealing with the patients. That is something that I have the freedom to do in the clinic. Some of my patients, I do spend an hour with them. The patients that we tend to see at the free clinic, the chronic care program, frequently have not only the medical issues, but the other access issues that I talked about. And I can spend time with patients saying, hey, your blood pressure's up. You know, usually that happens if you're not taking medication, if you're sick, if you're off your diet, and and kind of go through what might be going on in their lives that is impacting their medical problem. And then we can work toward a solution. If they aren't able to afford their medicine, it's not going to do me any good to prescribe yet another blood pressure medicine that they're not. And so that is something that our volunteers, our volunteer providers um, also uh, do and learn to do. Uh, Again, with the free clinic, I think we as providers handle a wider scope of things than what the average family physician 
does because we can't get the specialty care or we can't get as regular access to specialty care. In the past few years, we've got discharges from hospitals town to take care of patients with severe heart failure, liver failure, kidney failure, infections, heart conditions, just a lot of rheumatologic diseases, which again, we do have rheumatologists come in every three months. And we're grateful for that number of autoimmune and rheumatologic diseases that we skyrocket. And as part of that, the other difference between the free clinic and private practice is that we don't have the easy access to a lot of specialties. So we do what we can. And I think we provide very good primary care, problem solving, patient management, but we may not be able to get, actually we can't get patients to get their screening colonoscopy just because those are prohibitively expensive. At least they can get their screening mammograms and their screening pap smears, but that's one of the big differences. The beginning part definitely resonated with me. We were talking about insurance and you were talking about things like that because I don't come from a finance background at all. And right now I'm doing my internship with UI Healthcare in the finance department and just learning about how insurance works in private practice and just learning how kind of all that works and how medical coding works and contractual allowances is honestly insane. Um, I don't know why we ever decided to overcomplicate healthcare like this because healthcare is failing in America. We we all know that just because like you said, it's for profit and not for health. Um, And I see that every day. And that's something I'm getting more passionate about is learning more about how the healthcare finance portion works so we can work on that transparency with patients, help them access healthcare in a way that they understand. Because right now it's so overcomplicated that if I can't even understand it, how can other people understand it if I have a health administration background at this point? So I just want to become passionate about this. It's very interesting to hear you say that. And moving on to our next question, you kind of already talked about this a little bit. I don't know if there's something you want to add to this one, but what is something you wish the community knew about your clinic or for those of us who aren't local, what do you wish people knew about free clinics in general? I know we kind of talked about how, you know, you wish that they didn't exist because we shouldn't have the need for them. But is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Well, I want to just emphasize, and uh, I know a lot of people are listening today probably already know this, but the free clinic provides such a needed service in our community. And we witness that every day because our patients are so appreciative and so grateful. For example, every time we're able to provide them with a medication that they need, that they don't have to pay for, and they can't afford to pay. I'd like to emphasize that Cecilia and I and the staff and the board are so grateful for our strong community support. We're really, really grateful that we live in a community where people understand the importance of affordable access to health care. I also want to just emphasize again that there are today about 1,400 free clinics in the United States. 33 of those are in Iowa, and we are one of them. And as I mentioned earlier, we're the second longest running free clinic in the United States. That speaks so highly of our community and our community's awareness of our mission. And we're just really lucky. We wouldn't be here today if we didn't live in this community, as far as I'm concerned. I also wanted to mention that despite progress under the Affordable Care Act, millions of people still remain uninsured. And last year, it's estimated that over 2 million people received services at a free clinic in the United States. Free clinics, as Cecilia has mentioned, just play such an important in the overall population health of every community. 
And I'd like to encourage everyone to, if they don't already, to consider supporting a free clinic. The need for free clinics is only going to increase, I believe, until we get a system in our country that is more accessible to more Yeah, I really hope that someday in the future, hopefully in our lifetimes, we do get to that goal of making healthcare affordable for everyone in the country. But until then, like you said, you're doing a really important, amazing work in this community. So thank you very much. Next, we're going to kind of move on to a bigger question. And this theme has kind of been interspersed throughout the episode about healthcare as a human right. In the Free Medical Clinic's mission statement, it says, we believe that access to affordable health care is a basic human necessity. And we would love to know each of your takes on what this means and essentially why the idea of healthcare as a human right is so important. So if, yeah, you could probably tell from my earlier comments, that has been my belief uh, since I began my journey in healthcare. I at a med school interview 30 years ago, had a discussion about how I thought we needed universal health care. I was advocating at that time for socialized medicine, and I thought for sure we would have something better than what we have now. That belief is based on the fact that the United States is an incredibly wealthy country with a lot of resources. It is also based on the belief that each individual person is unique valued, and equal. And these are my beliefs and why my beliefs, I think, fit in well with the clinic. But if we accept those general tenets, then we should want to do what we can to provide the necessities for individuals. And in doing so, it's going to benefit the community. Healthier individuals make for a healthier community. I don't know how to get that point across (laughs) to people who don't want to, who who say, oh, well, it's their fault they can't afford insurance. It's their fault that they're working at a job that doesn't provide insurance. And my whole thought is that we as a country, if we are truly going to say that we are a great free country, we need to be able to show that by the health and well-being of all of our citizens, immigrants, everybody residing. And I know that's a really broad statement, but healthcare is just such an important part of that. I rank it right at, you know, food, shelter, healthcare, education. <laughs> I'd like to echo everything that Cecilia just said. Everyone who works at the free clinic, all our volunteers and our staff and our supporters, I know join me when I say I truly believe access to healthcare is a basic human right. Cecilia emphasized this earlier, and I just want to repeat that in this country, we really don't have a healthcare system. We have a health insurance system, and it's just not the same thing. I, I think that with time, People would find out and discover that if insurance was affordable to everyone, it would lower the cost of health care because it would lower administrative costs that we have right now, and it would it would reduce the incredibly high prescription drug costs that we witness right now. I think that that what it comes down to is that affordable access to health care is just the right thing to do if you think about it. 
Yeah, it definitely is the right thing to do. I think in America right now, I think we have just gotten into this rough thinking in this very individualistic mindset of only thinking for oneself and thinking of poverty and poor health and thinking of all these things as a personal failure rather than as a failure of society to care for their individuals. And I think you guys made great points there. And I wholeheartedly agree with both of you. And again, thank you so much for being here. Again, going on with the next question, what are something you are each looking forward to in the future of the free medical and dental clinic? Is there any initiatives that are coming up or any great things that you guys are looking forward to in the future? I was going to take the lead on that, but since you're talking about initiatives coming up, I'm going to let Barbara start with that one. <laughs> thank you, Cecilia. I want to hear your, your take on this as well. But one of the things I'm looking forward to is we are in the process of making some changes to our lower level so that we can provide patient care on two levels rather than one. Right now, all our patient services are provided on our main floor, and our lower level is primarily used for storage. We are in the just the beginnings of a three-year plan to get the basement the lower level, I like to call it, rather than the basement, into a space where we can have a thriving, we can have thriving clinics um, down there as well. We've already applied for some grant funding and we've received it to make this happen. It's going to be, it's not going to happen overnight, but what we're hoping for is that our ophthalmology clinics will be able to have their own ophthalmology suite downstairs. Our ophthalmology partners have recently received grant funding so that we're able to expand the number of services we provide our patients. They're now, they receive grant funding so that they can provide some of our patients with laser treatments if they have diabetic retinopathy. And they're also receive some funding so that our patients can get some cataracts removed if needed. So we'd like them to have a little more space. We'd like some of our other specialty care clinics to have more space as well on our lower level. So what I'm looking forward to is having two levels of care as well as one, in addition to, the, to what we have right now. Cecilia and I have both talked about our wish list, and I look forward to seeing more service at the And as both of us have mentioned, I think that would be only a positive thing because the need for our services is not going to go away. Do you have anything to add, Cecilia? The main thing I look forward to is continuing to provide high quality health care to the best of our abilities to people in our community who wouldn't otherwise receive it. As we said before with the wish list, we'd like to be able to provide mental health, we'd like to expand our women's health, but all of that is going to depend on the resources that are available. So it's a little hard to predict, but regardless of what we have for our physical structure, for our services offered, the staff and volunteers at the Free Medical Clinic will continue to treat people with respect and to provide services to the best of our abilities. Well, I'm really excited for your lower level as well. And I know there are a lot of listeners who are in the healthcare space in some way, shape, or form. So whether you are or you are not, please check out that wish list again. And if you have anything to offer, please do so. I think it really is amazing work that you're doing in the community. So lastly, we're going to ask you both the question that we ask of all of our guests. What is one thing you thought you knew but were later wrong about? I sort of mentioned it earlier. I really thought when I went into medical school that by the time I was at this point, like, 
year, we would have some form of a healthcare system that provided a safety net uh, for people without insurance, and we don't. You're not the first person on the podcast to have said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to share a little more of a, of a personal story. I mentioned earlier that I moved to New York after college. I was very, very young. Let me preface the story. I was very, very young. I had just graduated with a bachelor's degree in flute performance. I loved music with a passion. And I moved to New York because I was convinced that I would be able to play with the New York Philharmonic. Now that demonstrates my naivete, most definitely. Also my passion for music. But again, I was very young and had a lot to learn. And obviously that didn't work out, um, thanks to the New York Philharmonic. Um, music is still one of my greatest loves in life and that will never change. And to be fair, I did a lot of playing in New York, but it was mainly on the sidewalk outside Carnegie Hall and in Greenwich Village. The good news is when I moved to New York, I had to get a job right away to start paying back my student loan. And that led me to Mount Sinai Medical Center which led me to the Iowa City. So it all worked out, even though- What do you play, Barbara? I play flute. I don't play play flute anymore. And believe me, you would be glad if you heard me play (laughs) right now. But um, I still have, as I said, I still have a real passion for me. I played clarinet for from fifth grade until senior year of high school, so. And I also have not picked up the clarinet since then, so you probably don't want to hear me play clarinet. (laughs) But thank you so much for being here. I look forward to seeing the great things that you guys continue to do and are doing, and for one day not having the need for 800-bed hospitals or even a free medical clinic one day. But thank you so much for being here, both you, Barbara Vinegrate, and Dr. Cecilia Norris. My name is Eric Ramos. I'm here with Anya Morozov. Thank you so much for being here, and have a beautiful day, everybody. That's it for our episode this week, folks. Big thanks to Dr. Cecilia Norris and Barbara Vinegrade for joining us today. This episode was hosted and written by myself and Anya Morozov and edited and produced by me, Eric. You can learn more about the University of Iowa College of Public Health on Facebook. Our podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please share it with your colleagues, friends, or anyone interested in public health. Have a suggestion for our team? You can reach us at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. This episode was brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Until next week, stay healthy, stay curious, and take care. Eric out.